Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. It's uh, Christmas here in Arizona, um, which uh, doesn't involve, at least in this part of Arizona, a whole lot of uh, uh, snowmen or uh, uh, snowflakes or uh, anything else uh, snowy. And we've got great weather, actually, and, uh, and I love this uh, time of year here in Arizona. Um, uh, but it does mean a lot of those, uh, a lot of those things that uh, we associate with, uh, with Christmas. We don't see, we don't have a lot of uh, snowy white Christmases here. And like a lot of families, when I was a kid, from time to time, my parents would uh, take me um, and take our family out to the snow, to one of those places in Arizona that does have, uh, uh, have snow or, or elsewhere in the country. Um, here in Castle Grand, we didn't see the snow very often, and it was a special occasion when we did. It was memorable. It was fun. So, because it was fun, at some point, uh, my brother Michael and I thought we'd bring some of that magic home. So, on one of our snow trips, uh, we, um, our, our parents got, uh, got these simple green plastic saucers that we used to slide down a hill. Um, just a you know one of those saucers with uh, with with handles and uh, we use them as toboggans. So uh, at one point we decided to dig them out of the closet under the stairs where they were kept and uh, and we figured a hill covered with snow well it slopes down and so does our staircase. <laughs> so uh, one slope is just as good as another, right? Well, not quite. Um, we did our best. It, it wasn't fun when the uh, front lip of the saucer catches the top of a stair and uh, tips you forward. Uh, even in the best case, it was a bumpy ride and a hard stop at the end. And we figured out pretty quickly that we'd need uh, some pillows at the bottom of the stairs. We even tried, I think, lining the stairs themselves with uh, couch cushions to smooth out the ride. It never really worked out all that well, but, you know, I, I guess we, we had fun for a while. Um, but after we tried long enough, we kind of figured out that it just wasn't going to be the same. Uh, we had the slope, we had the sled, we just didn't have the snow. Uh, there was something missing. It wasn't complete. It wasn't, uh, wasn't perfect. What we did have would be fun for a while in a limited way, but it always ended in pain. It was a shadow of the real thing, wasn't it? It was something less. It was an imitation, and yeah, maybe every once in a while, even a pretty good imitation. At least we had a little bit of, the, uh, of fun that reminded us of uh, something good. At best, that's what it did. It hinted at something good, and it gave us a small taste of how good the real thing uh, could be. At worst, it was an absolutely bruising disappointment. <laughs> God has given his people a lot of good things. A lot of good things. And they remind us of his goodness. And he should. They hint at how good he is. And they should. But the blessings of this world are not a substitute for knowing Jesus. In the best time, they give us a taste of his blessings. At worst, if you look to even the good things and the best gifts of this world, 
that we have from God. If you look at those things by themselves and lose sight of the God who gave them, then they'll leave you with bruising, crushing, hopeless disappointment. God's chosen people in the Old Testament had many blessings. Many, many special blessings that were unique to them as God's chosen people. They were given (coughs) tremendous, remarkable, sometimes miraculous grace and mercy. They saw God working out his promises, protecting them, delivering them, providing and caring for them in powerful and miraculous ways at times. Other times by the ordinary working of his ordinary providence. But they saw God's work. They saw it in true and undeniable ways. From Abraham in the birth of Isaac to fulfill God's promise to give him a son. From Jacob and his son saved by God's merciful providence through Joseph. From Moses rescued from the decree of Pharaoh and himself then used by God to rescue God's people from slavery in Egypt. And to David, to Solomon, to Daniel, to the prophets, God delivered his people, preserved them, fulfilled promises to them time and again to show his faithfulness and to show his purpose to preserve and to build a kingdom. All of it, all of it, every single one. From the great miracles to the small works of providence, every single one, every one of of God's acts of kindness and goodness and mercy and love for his people was supposed to teach them faith in a better promise. Hebrews 11 teaches us that God has always worked in the hearts of his people through faith. This morning, we will look at Hebrews 11, verse 39, through Hebrews 12, verse 2. But we'll place those verses in context that pulls in the rest of chapter 11. Hebrews 11 says in verse 2, By faith the people of old received their commendation. They were, the author of Hebrews tells us, commended as righteous because of their faith in God, through their faith in God. Verse 1 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now that's not the same as blindness, but it does mean what it says, that faith is trusting in what's not seen. It's trusting in things hoped for, expected, anticipated. If you see, in fact, if you see faith as blind in this verse, then I think you've missed the point. So imagine that you promise to save me a slice of Christmas pie. You make me a promise. You're you're going to guard and protect that piece of pie to make sure I don't uh, miss out. And then you ask me if I trust you to keep that promise. And I say, well... If I come and see that there is a well-protected slice of pie left over for me, then I will trust that you saved it for me. Would you say that I've trusted you? Well, no. 
Not at all. If I trust you, then I trust you ahead of time. Now, that's not blind. If I trust you, then it's because of what I know of your character and who you are. That I know that if you've given your word, you will keep it. So it's not blind. It's grounded in the one who makes the promise. Hebrews 11 passes through a history of saints who trusted God, who trusted in his promises because they trusted the one who promised. They put their faith in what he promised, not blindly, but because he promised and because he is God. Example after example from men of ancient times like Abel, Enoch, and Noah to later Old Testament saints. Some of them miracles, some of them treasured points of the history of Israel, and some central to Israel's very identity as a people. Even Moses' deliverance of God's people from Egypt, we read, was an act of faith. It was God working through faith. Now, why is that? How can that be? It's because Moses trusted God more than he feared Pharaoh. So what Moses did was because of his faith in God. It is not what he would have done had he uh, put his faith in something else. Moses acted as he did out of faith, and then God worked through that faith to accomplish his purposes. But it wasn't Moses ultimately who worked. It was God. It was God, not Moses, who worked through Moses' faith to save the people. After numerous examples of faith, the author of Hebrews ultimately says, What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, and the list goes on. And what's the point? He could go on. The author of Hebrews could go on and on and on and on because every one of these works of God was a work that God worked through faith. God is doing the work, and it is about his people trusting in God to perform the work. Now, it might be profitable, and Because Hebrews does some of this, we can see, in fact, that it's profitable to go down the list and examine every one of God's work throughout the Old Testament to see examples of God's working through faith. It's a profitable uh, work to do. But the author of Hebrews at some point just says, uh, now, we're going to stop here because you get the picture. You get the point. God is working through his people through faith. And what they do is not their own work. It is their trusting in God to do the work. You get the picture. Many of the names listed in Hebrews 11 are heroes of Israel. But their names and accomplishments are not the point. What matters is not to look to them or even to what they did or even to look to what God did through them. Do you see that? It's not even about what God did by itself. God parted the Red Sea. But the point is not just that he separated water. The point is why. And the point 
It's the purpose. It's what God, working through his people, was intended to point your eyes to. It's the object of their faith. See, God's people were trusting in him. And the point is to turn your eyes not to the work, but to the one who worked. Hebrews eleven thirty nine through 12, 2 tells us that what all of those Old Testament saints clung to, ultimately, although they hadn't seen all of how God's promises were going to work out in the future, they didn't see exactly ahead of time who Jesus Christ would be. What they clung to was Jesus Christ. What they clung to was the God who would save them. Verse 39 says that all of those Old Testament saints were commended through their faith. That is, they were counted righteous. God accepted them and rewarded them because they trusted him. Not only that they trusted the promise itself, like some abstract thing, but that they trusted the one who promised It wasn't the prophets who performed miracles. Again, God did miraculous things for his people in the Old Testament. But it wasn't the prophets who performed the miracles. And it wasn't even the uh, the faith of the saints that fulfilled God's promises. It was God. It was God working through faith. Their faith looked to God's promises and trusted him to fulfill those promises. And yet... This is interesting. Verse 39 says they did not receive what was promised. We have to try to examine what that means. Of course, they saw the fulfillment of many of God's promises. God fulfilled a great many promises in the Old Testament, didn't he? Of course. In listing uh, many of the great works of God in the Old Testament, Hebrews 11.33 actually says... Through faith, the people conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, and obtained promises. They saw promises fulfilled. It's one of the ways God worked throughout the Old Testament is he made promises, and then he fulfilled them. Then he made more promises, and he fulfilled them. And he worked in mighty ways, in miraculous ways, in mysterious ways, but he fulfilled promises. So, of course, God's people saw promises fulfilled. God proved his faithfulness repeatedly. Hebrews 11 reminds us that he kept his promise to give Abraham a son. He delivered his people from Egypt. He brought his people to the promised land. He made them into a kingdom. As he had promised Abraham that he would, he preserved the line of David when it was threatened throughout the generations. And he promised to return his people from exile, and he did. He kept his promises over and over again. But none of those promises were the promises that the saints of old were ultimately looking forward to. They were looking forward to a greater promise of salvation. They were looking forward to Jesus Christ. Even though they had not seen them seen him with their eyes, even though they did not know him uh, exactly by name, they didn't know exactly how God was going to fulfill that promise. 
That was what they were looking forward to. Speaking of Moses, in fact, verse 26 of this chapter says that Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So, what we see here is that the saints of the Old Testament, they received the promise. But they were still waiting to receive what was promised. That is, they trusted in the one who promised, and they were commended through their faith in that promise. And they received salvation through their faith, but they did not live to see the one who would come and fulfill the promise in which they placed their trust. Instead, God had planned something better for the apostles and for us than what he gave the saints of old. Verse 40 says the reason Abraham, the patriarchs, the prophets, and the kings didn't live to see it is because God had planned that blessing for the apostles, for us, and for the gospel message delivered through the apostles of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament saints could believe in the promise, but it was in the fulfillment of that promise in the coming of Jesus Christ that they were ultimately saved. Absent the coming of Christ, their hope in the promise was nothing. Because Christ came, because he fulfilled that promise, their faith in the promise is everything. So to us belongs the privilege of having seen that greater promise fulfilled. That's for us. That's greater than what the Old Testament saints were given. Because we have seen Christ actually come. We have something even better than was given to those saints who were delivered from Egypt and saw the parting of the Red Sea. You see, they saw something ultimately small in the parting of the Red Sea, in the uh, delivering of the law to Moses on the mountaintop. They saw something small. But we got what that pointed to. The first two verses of chapter 12 exhort God's people to the same faith. The same faith. They had the promise. We have the one who was promised. They believed the Savior would come. We received the Savior who did come. And yet our faith in this sense is the same. We trust in the God who gave us the promise. So uh, chapter 12 verse 1 tells us that we should be motivated because we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Who are the witnesses? It's that long list of, uh, of, uh, of saints in the Old Testament that uh, the author of Hebrews says, time doesn't even permit him to list them all. Talking about the Old Testament saints. They were all testifying about Christ. They are a cloud of witnesses because every one of them, in everything that God did through them, they were all testifying about Christ. They had seen the promise, but they had not yet seen him. 
Now we have. They had lesser things, and they were lesser. Noah was preserved from the destruction of the world. Abraham had the lamb provided as a substitute sacrifice to save Isaac. Moses had the parting of the Red Sea to deliver God's people from slavery. God's people saw kings and judges raised up by God. They saw God deliver and bring them to the land that he promised. They saw armies slain and put to flight by God's mighty power. They saw mouths of lions closed, the power of fire quenched. They even saw the dead resurrected for a little while. God's establishment of the kingdom of Israel fulfilled a promise to Abraham. You see, that was a lesser promise. It was earthly. All of that, all of it was just a hint at something better. Their faith and the miraculous works that God performed in them and through their faith, the fulfillment of all of those lesser promises of the Old Testament, they were testifying about Jesus. Every prophet, priest, and king of Old Testament Israel and every work God performed is part of that cloud of witnesses that surrounds us testifying to Christ as the object of our faith and of theirs. Jesus Christ is our prophet, priest, and king. And you know that every king that God gave his people was a shadow in an imperfect, fallen type and shadow pointing to Christ. Every priest who offered sacrifices in an imperfect way that were not enough to cover sins, every priest who made those sacrifices was a type and a shadow picturing and pointing forward to the perfect priest who would come and offer a sacrifice worthy once for all for the salvation of God's people. Every prophet who brought the word of God was pointing forward to the word made flesh. So the author of Hebrews calls us to lay aside every weight, every sin, and look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And this is so important. It was important to the believers in the early church and to the Jewish people among those believers in the early church who knew and treasured all of those ancient Old Testament works of God. They treasured them, but they needed to hear this message. Don't look to Abraham. Don't look to Moses. Their eyes were fixed on Christ. Don't look to them. Look and fix your eyes on the one whom they had their eyes fixed. Those other people who were raised from the dead, you know, eventually they died again. Don't look to them. And you know what? Don't even look to their faith, at least not for its own sake. Look to the object of their faith, God, Jesus Christ. If God accomplished powerful works through Moses and Elijah, and he did, Don't look to them. They were looking to Christ. If God proved faithful to the good and gracious promises that he made to Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, don't look to them. 
look to the one they trusted to be faithful to keep his promises. And this is no less true for us now. Because you too have been given good things in life that are just a shadow. Just a shadow of God's goodness. The smallest hint of his mercy in grace. Don't look to your pastor, your father, your husband, your mentor, your boss, your teacher. No matter what good things God has done in them or through them, don't look to them. They are not what's worthy. At best, at best, they can be a hint and a small taste of God's goodness and a reflection of that goodness so that you can see him. That's why God gives us these things. That's why God gives us the joys that we have on a Christmas day like today. That's why he gives us the, the good times in family, in, in relationships, It's to point us to him, the source of that goodness. At best, the good things that you have in life, the people who have been examples to you by God's grace, at best they can be a hint of something better. At worst, they are a bruising, crushing, and hopeless disappointment. Because we are sinners and we live in a fallen (coughs) world. Some of you have known or have followed spiritual leaders either very close to you or even at a distance who have failed or who have failed you personally. The Apostle Paul knew that there would be preachers who proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition. He saw them. They were there. And not only that, for Paul, he knew that those preachers who were preaching out of selfish ambition, they were doing it out of envy and even out of spite against him personally. And do you know what he said in Philippians 1.18? What then? <clears throat> only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. If you've been disappointed by a fallen teacher, if you've been disappointed by someone who is supposed to represent Christ to you and failed, don't look to them. Look to the truth. Look to the truth they were supposed to proclaim. If you, hear pro, if you hear Christ proclaimed and it's good and right and true, don't put your faith in the preacher. Trust in the truth that he proclaimed. The preacher may fall, but the truth still stands. To lay aside every weight and sin means to look past every fallen and earthly thing. Look past the creature to the creator. Look past the instrument 
to the hand that wields it. Look past even the heroes of the faith and look instead to the object of their faith. And then you can run the race with the same faith in the same God. The saints of old were looking forward in the end to Jesus Christ. They had to look for him through the shadows of lesser promises. Imperfect pictures of what was to come. And we have a better promise because we have the person. They had the promise. We have the person who was promised. We have Jesus who was the author of the faith that the prophets proclaimed. He is the giver of the promise and the giver of the faith to believe the promise. He is the author of our faith. But he's not only the author, he's also the perfecter and the finisher of it. After he gave the promise, he gave himself to complete it. That's what his coming means. That's why we celebrate it. That's why we take time on a day like today to remember it. He came to fulfill the promise. On Christmas, we remember that Christ came. And why did he come? The author of Hebrews tells us that it is for the joy that was set before him. That joy, in the end, is your salvation. That was his reason for coming, to save a people for himself. That's why he came. Your faith in him is a faith that when he came for that purpose, that he accomplished that purpose. That joy that was set before him is your salvation. And then the author of Hebrews says that Jesus sat down. It's because he knew that he had accomplished what he set out to do. He came to save you, and he saved you. The work is done. It's absolute, and it's sure. Don't be discouraged because the world is not perfected yet. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Trust in the one who promised, whose promise is perfect as he is perfect. The promise is the gospel. The promise is that Christ came to deliver you from sin and from death and into a new life. We were sinners. We are sinners. We were sinners. And Christ came while we were yet sinners. He entered this world and humbled himself to take on frail human flesh. God who is infinite, who cannot be bound in time or in place, he took on bodily flesh. Became human as you and I are human, so that he 
could fulfill the demands of the law that you and I could not fulfill. And he did it. He fulfilled them. That's the work that's complete. And then because you and I deserved death, he bore that death on the cross. That was the reason he came. That's the work that's complete. And when that work was complete, he was raised by the power of the Holy Spirit. into a perfect and eternal life. That was his purpose in coming. That's what we remember today on Christmas. We remember that the God who promised to come all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, God made a promise As he cursed the serpent and said, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. When sin had entered into the world, and when we had become slaves to it, subject, helpless, under the curse of sin and death, slaves to sin, and righteously, rightly deserving condemnation, God even then promised, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Christ came to fulfill that very promise that he made from the very beginning after the fall to save you. Every good thing that he did from then on for his people was just the smallest hint of his purpose, of grace, to make good on that promise and to save his people, to crush the serpent's head and to defeat sin and death once for all. And he came. He fulfilled the promise and he came. And if you have placed your trust in him and in him alone, then the same power by which the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead has raised you into new life. It's by faith. As we see throughout Hebrews 11, God has always worked through faith. That faith is commended to his people as righteousness. So although we are sinners, we stand before God, not as sinners, but in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that is our better promise. It is the fulfillment and the culmination of all God's work throughout history from the very beginning until the the day he came and fulfilled all of those purposes in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Trust in him. He is worthy.